Welcome to the Denker Capital Podcast, where our highly experienced team of in-depth thinkers and other experts share their insights on a range of investment-related topics. In this podcast, we have conversations about developments in South African and global markets and what these may mean for investors. We analyze specific stocks and sectors and explore general themes relating to the fundamental principles that underpin sound investment decisions in an ever-changing world. Hello and welcome to the Denker Capital Podcast with me, Nigel Barnes. Today is the 4th of May, 2021, and this is a special edition focusing on Berkshire Hathaway. I'm joined by Koki Koiman. Hello, Koki. I know there was a shareholder meeting on the 1st of May. You've attended now, I think, 20, 20 meetings in, in Omaha and um, two virtual, the last two virtual meetings. So I would possibly guess that you are the South African citizen who has been to the most Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meetings. No, no I think uh, I haven't run the most two oceans of comrades. Uh, some guys measure themselves for that, but I've certainly been yeah, so to Berkshire Hathaway the most times. Yeah, okay. So you've got your green number for trips to Omaha. Sadly, we don't have any Coke or peanut brittle on the table, for those of you that will get the hidden meaning in that one. But anyway, Koki, I, I think today I, I don't want to get into some of the opinion um, that was was voiced at the shareholder meeting around things like SPAC, Bitcoin, Robinhood, etc. I think we'll we'll leave that for another day. And let's get into the really key issues and key comments that came out of the meeting. And I really want to focus on three areas, the economic and political environment, the comment and feedback there, ESG, and comment there in terms of Warren and the team being called into question around sustainability, and thirdly, changes to the investment portfolio at Barcher Hathaway. So let's kick off. Economic and political environments, Warren's comments, Charlie's comments. How do you see that? Yeah, no, uh, there weren't many hidden messages, very direct. They simply commented on the fact that there's, in Warren's words, a buying frenzy out there. Suppliers are pushing up prices, the suppliers to Berkshire Hathaway companies. And obviously, Berkshire Hathaway is forced to push up prices to their clients as well. And it doesn't seem to affect the buying. So there's strong buying, but also there's strong inflationary pressures in terms of you know pricing increases. So in that regard, America is, as, as we think as well, is on track for the strongest growth in 10 years. And the question is whether that will be transitionary or not. Now, the two interesting ones on that is the whole debate whether this inflation will be transitionary or not. Warren pulled out a book written by Larry Summers in, I think, 1974, where Summers had done analysis on interest rates and tried to envisage a world of flat interest rates or zero interest rates and and said, something like that can never work. (laughs) So now we're here. And he used that to show how extraordinary the times are that we're living in. But the debate was basically that Buffett tried to explain is that with interest rates where they are, the market is not expensive. And he went on about the cash flow generation of things like Apple, et cetera, et cetera. And he says if interest rates stay at this low, uh, then the market is actually cheap. Companies that generate cash. But he added that interest rates are to markets as gravity is to matter. You know, if interest rates go up, the valuations the markets will come down. And so that's the whole conundrum now. Just in terms of moving into the, 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 the ESG area, which is clearly a, you know, a key area, an area of focus for all of us in the, in the asset management industry and has been now for, for, for a while. 
some of that was called into question. Yeah. Unpack that for us a little yeah. bit. So there was a lot of activism <laughs> against Berkshire Hathaway, and, and it's really on two fronts. The one is it's actually attacking the culture. Warren says we've always had a culture of pushing autonomy of the various subsidiaries down to that level at head office, which is a small head office. It used to be 20 people. Now I think it's grown a bit. We don't make decisions. Obviously, we, 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 we give advice. And so the activists are trying to get Berkshire Hathaway to get the information on climate change and on, on helping minorities, etc., at head office level. And, and Warren says the information that should we put that all together would be meaningless. So, A, you're asking me to do a lot of work that's just going to be meaningless for you. And, um, you know, it's not going to mean much at company level. So there's resistance there. The activists wanting to disclose it, especially the largest shareholders. And also in terms of the culture, obviously, Berkshire Hathaway has been, well, you can see the ages, Warren 90, Charlie 97. They come from a different era and still believe that directors should be shareholders in their own right, have a lot of experience where there's a lot of activists for them to change their board, to get younger people in. And he says, you know, why should I go and change something by being forced by activists who don't own a single one of Berkshire Hathaway share themselves? And that's really a lot of tension. Yeah. But he refuses to change. He says he's got a million shareholders who are individuals who in their own right, like Berkshire Hathaway, want the shares and don't want him to change. And you've got people that haven't got shares. To... So, okay, so that's on the one. There's a lot of... Yeah. The second one is on ESG itself. Greg Abel uh, came up very strongly uh, and, and actually showed what Berkshire Hathaway Energy has been doing uh, already since 2007. You know, so, and that report showed that the units inside Berkshire Hathaway that are facing the whole question about climate change and have been ahead of the game and have been doing things and have got a plan as to how to reduce coal-fired power stations down by 2050 to almost nothing. But as, as Warren said, it's going to cost literally, he said, staggering amounts to change from what America has been used to in terms of how it gets its energy to, you know, you know, the Paris Climate Accord. And, you know, you just can't do that overnight. So the tussle is really the activists want them to change now, and they say you just can't switch off the, sure. the switch and it takes time. Yeah. So you think it's a little unfair both from a culture perspective and also from a sustainability perspective that, yeah. that this attack is happening? Yeah. As being yeah. 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 Okay. I'm glad you mentioned Greg because there was an announcement, a little bit of a, a slip actually by Charlie, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. in terms of the, the future of, of Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Would you expand on that? Yeah, as you say, it was actually quite funny because there were questions about culture and uh, and Charlie piped up and said, Greg will keep the culture once we once you know we've passed on. Sure. <laughs> and he wasn't meant to say that. And then Warren came with a statement now afterwards making a public announcement that you know should something happen to him that Greg has been the guy that they've for quite a few years already, identified as to take over from him. That's actually fascinating, and that's a topic on itself, and maybe we should have another podcast in a few months' time with us, but he's a very, uh, no pun intended, able individual. Yeah. It's really, is uh, a, a typical CEO who executes well, controls well, and has built the business, uh, the business under him well, whereas Warren has been a hands-off individual. So, you know, we've seen what's happened at Absa. Interesting, when a CEO comes in, uh, and there's a clash of how you do things. 
Sure. And so it'll be interesting to how able, if you become CEO, how will it be a culture change? Well, certainly the individuals are different. So there will be a culture change. And, and does that bring resistance from the CEOs who've been used to Warren Buffett's hand, which is very light on the tiller, whereas he might have a firmer hand and, and want to drive more returns. But that's three, four, five years down the line, and they're not stupid, so they'll be focusing on that. But it's, a, it's actually a significant change. The question has been asked for when he went past 60, so that's 50 years ago. They started asking him, you know, what's going to happen when you die? Yes. <laughs> and who's going to succeed you? And now finally we are there at the point where the successor has been effectively named. Yeah. Well, the reality is that we are going to see that change yeah. in, the, in the next and few years. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and um, it sounds as though, um, I mean, I remember back in 2019 being at the, at the meeting and, and I think Warren saying that he speaks to his CEOs maybe once yeah. a year. Yeah. It sounds as though the new leadership may be a bit more maybe active. Different, yeah. and do you think that's a good thing? <laughs> it, on a cultural way, in what guys have been used to, not. But uh, I think where the world is moving to, much more fast moving, I think you do need a guy who's more hands-on. And he, he, he's very good. He's got a good track record of growing shareholder value in the units that he's responsible for. Sure. So I think in the new world, the world moves faster. Great. Let's move on to the portfolio itself, the budget portfolio itself. Changes? What's yeah. been happening there, Koki? Yeah, I, I, uh, I was thinking of writing an article. I might still do it. Uh, Buffett finally panicked. Okay. Because Buffett has been the guy who always said, you know, uh, be greedy when others are fearful. And uh, I read an article, which is brilliant, which looked at the previous 30 years and pinpointed where he did his big banking buys, Wells Fargo and Bank of America. And each time it was when banks traded at book value, which they did in 2020, and this time he didn't buy, he sold. And his defense was that basically, and he didn't say in so many words, but the mistake they made was in 2018, they built up their financials exposure, and largely banks, but of American Express, Moody's, but largely banks, to 46% of their portfolio. And suddenly in the middle of this crisis, where they weren't sure if the Fed and the U.S. government pro- programs were going to work, and I think Tim Todd played a role there, his two lieutenants that he's brought in. Yeah. And they were pointing out to him maybe, yeah, you've got too much risk. And uh, there's just no doubt about it. He panicked. And I'm disappointed in that regard, in that Warren, of all people, has got more, has got access to, to everybody. And he knows Jamie Diamond, he knows Monia and Bank of America, he knows all those guys. Sure. And he could have sent him a WhatsApp, hey, Jamie, what's happening? <laughs> sure. Or just phone, or, you know, or like we sitting here in Cape Town. Uh, could actually see what was happening. <laughs> I don't know. I want to sound, but you know, you, you could actually see that the Fed and the government were doing the right thing. But the size of his position looks like it just scared him, and he listened to the guys. And he, the same with the airlines, they he totally sold out. Yeah. And that's still defensible, defendable, because you could say, like airlines, you just you just didn't know how long this thing is going to last. Will sure. they ever fly? Will it be three, four, five years? He was worried that sure. yeah, he might have put in more capital. But on the banking side, he's been through banking for 30 years. Now, just in his defense, what he did do with the capital he raised by selling the airlines and selling, uh, bringing his banking exposure down to about 25%, which is, by the way, still a large exposure. Sure. But he bought back Berkshire Hathaway stock. So and he bought that almost in the multiple multiple of three times. So he bought a lot of Berkshire Hathaway stock, and so he effectively swapped uncertainty for certainty. Okay, thanks, Koki. 
I'd like to focus now on the Denker holding. It was, I believe, for the first time in a long time across the global funds, both your Denker Global Financial Fund and, and also on our Global Equity Fund. We don't own any Berkshire Hathaway. Do you want to just unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah, no, Nigel, it's um, I went and checked back on Global Financial. I haven't checked on Global Equity, but we've held the shares in our portfolios for many, many, many years. Global Financial, I think, since 2000. Okay. So it was the first time that we sold out totally, and we did that in June 2020. Right. And the reasoning in, on our side was financials is that the alternatives were incredibly cheap. And so we were more worried about a bit like Buffett in will the U.S. programs work. We knew that the banks would come strongly, but we weren't sure about the consumer and also claims against insurance operations on business interruption. So um, we just felt there was much better value in, in other financials. Sure. Uh, and we bought a uh, some of the PNC insurers as well. One we bought specifically in this place was Allegheny. And uh, although I must say, what we didn't, the two things we got wrong, because so far Berkshire Hathaway has outperformed the share we swapped it for. Okay. It hasn't outperformed the portfolio, but it's outperformed Allegheny. Okay. <laughs> and the reason why we bought Allegheny, it is a bit of a Berkshire Hathaway, same culture, much smaller, much more room for growth. So I'm sure over the next 10, 20 years, you know, so we swapped something that's massive certainty for, for more growth. Also, very well-run business and more concentrated. Berkshire Hathaway, obviously, the fact that they bought back shares has helped the share price in the short term, and so we'll see. But over the next five years, it's 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 fairly expensive. It is big. It uh, PA I still hold it because it just gives that certainty and safety. But I think on global financials, the space is just so much growth and leverage to higher interest rates that uh, I think will be proven right. It was a good decision. Yeah. Okay. All right, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll close things out. I just, got, I just want to ask you one final thing, really, and I suppose that's you know, over two decades you've been to the shareholder meeting. You've had a lot of connectivity to the business. Um, you've done a huge amount of analysis. You, know, you understand the culture, uh, et cetera. Just taking a step back and your views you know, now, I mean, things have changed a lot. The new world, culturally, they're under attack. From the ESG perspective, they're under attack. What do you think yeah. is going to happen to the business over the next year or two? Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm slightly biased. I identify with their culture as well, and I suppose it's also my age. Sure. <laughs> and having been so often, and uh, you know, but it is true that the world is changing. And unfortunately for Warren and Greg, who will take over in a few years' time, the shareholder base is changing. Mm-hmm. So those individuals, those million individual shareholders, are also the average age is quite high. And as they die, and secondly, as Warren's portfolio that he's, that he's dedicated to, um, effectively handed over to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for Charity, as they sell those shares, the shareholders will change to being more index trackers, mm-hmm. uh, larger portfolio funds, sure. who will have a much stronger view on and, in fact, are forced by their investors to activate for change. Sure. And so over time, um, I think that's where Greg's, you know, big role will come. Um, I think we're going to see more change. They're going to give more disclosure. They're going to, it's not as if they don't believe in change. And obviously in the individual companies, they're very much focused on the, doing the right thing in terms of climate change. 
but I think uh, Greg will learn from that and be more uh, more upfront. I think what is interesting, just quickly on, on Greg, he is a, a very a strong individual, comes across well, and a lot of people I've read so far say that would be better. Charlie and Warren, because of their success, have been able just to ignore a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of questions they just laugh off now, you know, uh, where Greg, being a very much more professional, answers more directly. So I think we're going to see more transparency, yeah. which I think will be good. Okay. Brilliant, Cocky. Thank you. Certainly, I think that the shareholder meetings the next few years are going to become very interesting to see how the, the dynamic changes, um, and clearly we may see some personnel changes, sadly. So thank you for, always for your input. I know you know the business well. If anybody, any of the listeners has uh, any further questions for, for Cocky on Berkshire Hathaway, please uh, find me or, or Cocky directly in email. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, special edition, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Cheers for now. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you found it interesting. If you would like to join us again, please subscribe for more investment insights. To find out more about our team and the funds we offer, please visit our website at denkercapital.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Denker Capital. This podcast does not take the circumstances of a particular person or entity into account and is not advice in relation to an investment. Please do not rely on any information without appropriate advice from an independent financial advisor. The value of investments may go down as well as up and past performance is not a guide to future performance. Denker Capital is an authorized financial services provider in South Africa. Please visit denkercapital.com forward slash disclaimers for the full disclaimer relating to the global fund mentioned in this episode.